Our Old Testament passage today picks up in 1 Kings chapter 16, beginning with verse 8. In the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, the son of Baasha, began to reign over Israel in Tizra, and he reigned two years. But his servant Zimri, commander of half of his chariots, so this is a very powerful commander in his military, commander of half of his chariots, conspired against him. While he was in Tizra, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, who was over the household of Tizra. Now, I want you to notice, bad things happen when drunk. Now, you know what? This was not a stupid man, but he gets drunk. And the next thing you know, he's dead. Zimri came in and struck him down and killed him in the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. And notice, this man has no right to be king. He just took over. When he began to reign, as soon as he had seated himself on the throne, he struck down all the house of Baasha. He did not leave a single male of his relatives or his friends. Thus Zimri destroyed all the house of Baasha, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke against Baasha by Jehu the prophet. For all the sins of Baasha and the sins of Ella his son, which they sinned and which they made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord God to anger with their idols. Now notice, there's, there's a few things God really gets upset about, and one of them is idolatry. So, Baasha sinned, his son sinned, they made Israel to sin, and the whole sin was idolatry. Now the rest of the acts of Ella and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? Now remember, this is different than Judah, because the ten tribes are now split off. In the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, Zimri reigned seven days in Tizra. Now the troops were encamped against Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines. And the troops who were encamped heard it and said, Zimri has conspired and he has killed the king. Therefore all Israel made Omri, the commander of the army, king over Israel that day in the camp. <laughs> so um, Zimri didn't last very long. Seven days. So Omri went up from Gibbethon and all Israel with him, and they besieged Tizra. When Zimri saw that the city was taken, he went into the citadel of the king's house and burned the king's house over him with fire and died. Because of the sins he had committed, doing evil in the sight of the Lord, walking in the way of Jeroboam, this was the idolatry guy, okay? And for his sin which he committed, making Israel to sin. Now the rest of the acts of Zimri, and the conspiracy that he made. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Then the people of Israel were divided into two parts. Now, have you ever noticed rebellion always rebels and splits again? Okay. Israel was divided into two parts. Half of the people followed Tibni, the son of Gina, to make him king, and half followed Omri. But the people who followed Omri overcame the people who followed Timri, the son of Ganath, and so Tibni died, and Amri became king. In the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah. Okay, now we're talking about Judah. Amri began to reign over Israel. So, okay, we can tell the time because it's the 31st year of Asa. He began to reign over Israel, and he reigned for 12 years. Six years he reigned in Tizra. He bought the hill of Samaria from Shemer for two talents of silver, and he fortified the hill and called the name of the city that he built Samaria after the name of Shemer, the owner of the hill. So you wonder where the term Samaria comes from. 
Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did more evil than all who were before him. Wow. And that's saying a lot, folks. For he walked in all the way, all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in the sins that he made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger by their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Omri that he did and the might that he showed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? Omri slept with his father and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab, now we see one of the nastiest kings around, his son reigned in his place. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Now, wow. I mean, you're beginning to see Omri was bad and the son was worse. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him, as if it were a light thing, as if it didn't mean anything. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Now that's like a, I don't know how to play way to say it. It's like a giant male sexual organ at full erection, and they make them big and tall out of bronze and out of wood. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Now, you know, you, you, just, you, you just look at this guy and you go, you know, what is it that each, each son wants to outdo his father in sin? In his days, Hillel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid his foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. So here is the rebuilding of Jericho. Jericho rebuilt. Now that's a big deal, folks. And again, at the cost of his firstborn, and he set up his gates at the cost of his youngest son. Chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Teshbi in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there will neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here, and turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall have drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now, you know, you look at that and you go, what in the world? But you have to understand, these ravens are big birds, and they're still in Israel today. I, I can remember sitting at a little outdoor restaurant one time, and the people who were sitting at the table next to us had left food on the table, and these big birds just came in and just took off with things. I mean, they, they could carry the whole basket of bread with them. So I have no problem thinking that these ravens would bring him food to eat. Not at all. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Now, that's a mouthful. He went and did. He went and did according to the word of the Lord. Can you and I say the same thing? He went and lived by the brook Chattah that is east of Jordan 
and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So he ate two times a day, morning and evening, and he had plenty of water. Now, brothers and sisters, where God leads, God feeds. <laughs> where God leads, God feeds. When you do what God has told you to do, God provides. After a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. All right, so we have ravens feeding, and now we have a widow. And both were commanded by God. They weren't requested by Elijah. They were commanded by God. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the city of the gate, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called her, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. Now, I'm not going to teach this all because I just taught this all to you last week in detail. But this, can you imagine today if a preacher did this? It would be on tuflo, you know, I mean, just, ah. Uh, how could this heartless, cruel man do this? But it wasn't heartless and it wasn't cruel. It was God's plan of provision for this woman. It was actually the mercy of God for this woman. And she said, As surely as the Lord God, your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in the jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. She has no hope. There's nobody else to ask money from. You see, this, this is one of the things you got to get a hold of. When times get really hard, you can't ask your friends for money anymore. Nobody's got anything. This is why you have to learn to depend on God. You have to see God as your provider. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. So notice, she has to deal with her fear. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, you always sow first. Make a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord, send, the Lord God sends rain upon the earth. Now, brothers and sisters, would you look at that? This is the promise of promise of multiple little unseen miracles. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her family, and, and she and he and her household, now, ate for many days. Now, I want you to notice the household is not just her, her son, and then I wonder who else was part of that household. Her faith provided for a family. The jar of flour was not spent, neither the jug of oil became empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. After this, 
the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against us, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, you have brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son. Then he stretched himself out upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elisha. Now, that's one of those verses that you just, wow. He listened to the voice of Elisha. God listens to our voice. This is, this is why this is the great illustration later in, in the New Testament, that Elijah was a man just like us, and he prayed and God heard his prayer. The prayers of a righteous man avail much. This is why he is our example. And I'd go over here and look up the verses and put them in. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. There's another wow. The word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Now, forgive me. She says, Now I know. So even during this entire time that she was eating supernatural food, she wasn't sure that this was really a man of God and that what he said was really true. Hmm. Now I know that you are a man of God and the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. May every one of us as men of God, may our words be truth. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Our New Testament passage today picks up in Acts chapter 10, beginning with verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, so during the sermon, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard, and all the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, and they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Now, you just had to back up on this for a minute. Years ago, back in the mid-90s, when the revival was flowing, it was not unusual for the Holy Spirit to interrupt the pastor. <laughs> okay, and I was the pastor. And, and one of the things I heard people say was, the service is not decently in order. The people should wait until the sermon is done before they receive the Holy Spirit. Well, you know what? It doesn't always work that way. At some point, we have to understand that this is his church. 
and he can do what he pleases. For me, for Peter to keep preaching, Peter would have been out of order. The pastor, the preacher would have been out of order because the Holy Spirit has stepped in and begun to move upon the people. Now, I've seen two kinds of this. I've seen the real deal where as you were preaching, all of a sudden the Holy Ghost began to fall and the best thing you can do is just be quiet and let the Holy Spirit work. Let the Holy Spirit do whatever he wants to do. It's God's church. And I've seen people who would, I would, I don't know what I call them, okay? They're fakers, okay? They try to fake the movement of the Holy Spirit and draw attention to themselves, and they just interrupt the service, and they interrupt the word because they want to draw attention to themselves. Now, you know what? I'll stop those people, and I'll just say, say, well, Pastor, how do you know? You just know. There's just, when people are faking it and they're just trying to make a scene, you just know this just ugh, this doesn't fit. It's like something something sticking wrong in the middle of everything. But when the Holy Spirit begins to flow, and it's the real deal, as a pastor, the best thing we can do is go, it's your church, Lord. You have all the room and you have all the time you want. Can anyone withhold water baptizing for these people? For they received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Now notice, they were speaking in other tongues, just like on the day of Pentecost. And Peter says, listen, we got to get these Gentiles water baptized now. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of the Lord. So when Peter went up to the, to the Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. All right, so you're going to have to understand. God does a new, old thing, and the critics come out. Now, notice I said new, old. God had always promised the salvation of the Gentiles. It's all through the Old Testament. It's all through the four Gospels. But the circumcision group, this, this group that believed that you had to be circumcised before you could have a relationship with God, they were critics that these people have been water baptized. And they were even more upset than that. You went to them and ate with them? You broke tradition. Now, it doesn't matter that Jesus went to the Samaritans. I mean, in their brains, they're not thinking. All they're thinking about is, you're not acting like a proper Jew. Okay? Now, how did Peter handle criticism? This is a great truth here. This is leadership. How to handle bad critics. Now, these, these people were not good criticism. This is not somebody trying to help Peter. This is somebody really mad at Peter. So Peter and exp- began and explained to them in order. So first step, detailed explanation. A detailed explanation. And he begins to lay it out. 
I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And a voice answered a second time from heaven, saying, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and then all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house with which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. So there was a purpose of the vision. These six brothers also accompanied me. All right, so number one is detailed explanation. Number two is validation. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in a house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, Notice, as I began to speak. Okay, this, we're not even talking about 20 minutes in. We're talking about as I began to speak. The Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them that he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way. When they heard these things, they fell silent. Critics fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the conclusion. Now, brothers and sisters, sometimes people get really mad at you. And they're criticizing something that you've done that was really good. You don't need to get in a war with them. You just need to tell the story and provide the validation and provide the scriptures. Validation and the scriptures. Hey, do you remember what... Do you remember what the, the word of the Lord was to us? The scriptures. So, detailed explanation, validation, and the scriptures. And then, you know what? It's up to them to open their hearts or not. In this case, they open their hearts. All right. That's how you deal with angry critics who don't like something that you did, but you did the right thing. Let's close out today with Proverbs with a little bit of wisdom. Proverbs, chapter 29, verse 10. Bloodthirsty men hate one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. Now, brothers and sisters, that's, that's pretty strong. Bloodthirsty men, bloodthirsty men hate and seek the life of people who are blameless and upright. Now, do you remember... All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall be persecuted. All right? So a godly life 
brings attack. And it's just something you're going to have to get used to in life. A fool, and here's our list, characteristics of a fool. A fool gives full vent to his spirit. Another translation says anger. But a wise man quietly holds it back. List, characteristics of the wise. You know, a wise person learns when you're mad, shut up. <laughs> a wise man quietly holds it back. My grandfather used to say, David, when you get angry, be quiet. You will never regret what you did not say. <laughs> have, ever, have you ever gotten really angry and said something that you regretted? A wise man quietly holds it back. You never regret what you do not say. If a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be wicked. This is why it's so important. You see, a leader trusts. And so you have to remove the liars from around you. Because if you don't remove the liars from around you, it corrupts. It corrupts the whole team. So remove the liars. Yes, they will go out and attack you, but remove them. The poor man and the oppressor meet together, and the Lord gives light to the eyes of both. Now, look at New Living on that one. The poor and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives sight to the eyes of both. So a poor man and an oppressor, they're the same because God gives light to the eyes of both. If a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. Now, not virtue signaling, but this is again leadership. This is leadership. Whenever you see those big L's in my Bible, that's leadership. When you faithfully judge for the poor, when you make no distinction, and the poor receive the same justice that the rich, your throne will be established forever. It's what, it's what establishes or makes permanent a position of leadership. You see, God removes people from leadership that show favoritism, but God establishes people in leadership that do not show favoritism. Now, there's something to think about today. All right. We'll see you tonight. We're going to get back into the book of Romans. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.